Hello, Monetization Nation. The life of an entrepreneur is filled with a roller coaster of emotions, adventures, and stories. The lows on that roller coaster can be so low, leading us to question why we've stepped into entrepreneurship in the first place, and possibly even to quit. The highs can be so high that we believe we can transform our lives and our family and our social contributions. The road to becoming a revolutionary entrepreneur is daunting and grueling. Many have fallen off the steep, slippery ladder leading to success. But those who persevere and reach their entrepreneurial successes can find life-changing rewards. One of the secrets of highly successful entrepreneurs is that they are constantly learning from other successful entrepreneurs. This is one of my favorite reasons for doing this show to learn from the amazing entrepreneurs and monetization experts I'm able to interview. In this episode, I was privileged to interview and learn from Reg Allen, who is an experienced and highly successful entrepreneur, realtor, podcaster, business owner, event planner, professor, and a good friend. He's currently the vice president of marketing for a company with billions of dollars of annual revenue. And he has been fortunate to have founded, sold, or been a part of a number of highly successful companies. Reg created his first small business as a Phoenix real estate agent at the age of 22. He then grew the company to achieve a personal profit of more than $1 million before the age of 25 and ranked in the top 20 realtors out of more than 60,000 realtors. Reg co-founded Color in Motion 5K which is an event where people throw colored chalk at each other while running a race. Reg turned that into a national event company with races all over the country. He organized the events and received more than 100,000 participants nationwide before he sold the company about a year after founding it. He regularly consults organizations on leadership, marketing, business strategies, and professional negotiations. Reg is a dear friend of mine. Jim Rohn said, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Reg is one of those people I want to be more like. This is part one of two episodes with Reg. In this first episode, he shared with me four actions of being a revolutionary entrepreneur. Tectonic shifts are constantly transforming the earth and business, causing destruction and huge growth opportunities. I'm Nathan Gwilliam, the host of Monetization Nation, where we learn how to leverage business tectonic shifts to transform monetization. Thank you for joining us today, Reg. Thank you, Nathan. And thank you for your kind words. (laughs) I was, uh, this is a pleasure to be with you. I was thinking this morning, I was getting ready. What you're doing with your podcast and the information you're providing is adding extreme value for others. And I love that. Um, I I was thinking this morning that, my definition for learning has always been a sustained change in how you think, act, and feel. And I, I think sometimes we get in these patterns and sometimes people get in these patterns where they just listen to a ton of podcasts and they listen to a ton of information. But if it doesn't have a sustained change in how they think, act, and feel, then it just, then it doesn't matter. It's just information or it's just recall. And I think you're zoned in on exactly what it is that can allow to be the vehicle to help people change how they think, act, and feel. And when they do, it's powerful. You don't have to listen to a hundred different things to zone in on that change. And I think that what you're doing is helping facilitate that change, at least for me and others. So thanks for what you're doing. Well, thanks for being willing to join us and share 
so much value yourself, uh, you're, you're definitely a huge part of that value that this show is able to provide. The best part of doing the show is, is me getting to learn from and associate with and, and become better by talking to people like you. All right, we would like to start off by having you share your entrepreneurial and digital monetization journey. You got it. I, uh, I started out my career, I, I came home from, from a church mission and just was kind of wandering, wondering what to do. And somebody told me about a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I know most everybody knows that book, has read that book by Robert Kiyosaki. But I'm telling you, I didn't do very well in school growing up. And when I read that book, it was just like a light bulb popped off in my head. It was, I can do this. Why in the world am I spending my time working for, for hours and getting paid by an hour when I could be paid by ideas? How can I, how can I monetize what it is that I'm doing to create true wealth rather than going and what he deemed as the rat race and going back and forth? And I was sitting there and I thought, you know what? I think it's real estate. And I ended up going to the community college, Mesa Community College, and I signed up for the most boring class of all time. I, I thought that I was going to go in and learn Robert's key success metrics for real estate, but instead it turned out that it was just a legal law class that qualified to be able to take the state test to become a realtor. So I, I sit through this class, I get done with it, and they said, well, you can go and take the test and become a realtor. And I thought, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Um, I took the test. I failed it the first time, by the way, uh, which I don't mind. Reviewed the books again, took it again. And, and my opportunity, it was, it was one of those things where these companies were coming out of the woodwork saying, hey, come and be a realtor here. And then big national brands that you've heard. And as I thought about it, I thought, okay, so I've got a chance to go with one of these companies that can take a substantial amount of my profits from my sales. But instead, I saw on a bulletin board, this company that took hardly anything but their deal was, we're going to charge you jack squat and we're going to provide you no real support, but it will be on you whether you're successful. And so in my mind, I thought, well, if I'm going to start from the bottom and I'm going to build, why don't, and this goes along with what you teach, Nathan, if I'm going to spend the time to build, why don't I build on land that I own versus a, this national company that supposedly has the secrets and has all of this success? Well, I wasn't looking to build Remax or one of these top companies. I was looking to build me. And so as I went down this journey, even though I was young, didn't have a lot of experience, I, I remember a, it was a, a friend of mine's cousin was looking for an $80,000 townhouse, if I remember right. And I remember I had no support, but I had the little key to get into houses. I'd looked on the multiple listing service, got into this house, and she said, I want it. I filled out this contract for an offer. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and um, I did the best I could. And I remember the lady that received the facts with the offer. She said, she called me, she said, you're new, right? I'm like, well, why, why do you think that? Well, because you filled it out wrong. And this lady, she sat there and helped me fill it out. And we got, we got through the contract, it was accepted. And that young lady that was my client referred me to somebody else with just in a three or four day period. 
and it just kind of snowballed. It was, it was the perfect storm where I was giving my heart, but I was building my business versus building a national business. And I've just, I'm stubborn enough that I would rather learn on my own through my own experience rather than hoping that someone else is going to own my success. Yeah. And we, and we went from selling, you know, I, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I know that, uh, in my early twenties, we got to a point where I think I sold, I want to say it was somewhere 11 to 12 homes in a single day. We were selling well over a hundred homes a year with just my own personal business. But just, just to go through that process and learn and grow, invaluable. I, I just wouldn't change it at all. Um, and, and for me, that you know, I, and you mentioned this in the introduction, but in my early 20s, to be able to have years where I'd profit over a million dollars, I didn't have the experience. I grew up in a very meager financial situation. And I, I learned from my own experiences what it was that how money could work for me and how it would disappear. And again, from my own experiences, but I was able, I was fortunate enough to take some of that money and invest it into a number of businesses. And I had experience in, uh, in musical string instrument companies and security companies and all of these different companies, just broad range of experience, but it all started from that foundation of owning the land that I was that I was building my business and being able to use that to create residual income in investing in other companies that I would have never been able to reach had I just had a job where I thought I work an hour, I get paid an hour. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So I want to talk about a couple of things there. So number one is the point that you came from this meager situation and became this amazing entrepreneur. Um, it's amazing how often I see that, that uh, I'm, I'm part of a, an entrepreneur networking organization. And it's almost a joke within that organization that those entrepreneurs, um, their children do not have the drive to, to go do what their parents did because their kids have grown up going snowboarding and having all of the luxuries and the, <laughs> the, the things that the entrepreneur never had themselves and they just don't have the drive to go take the risk and put in the, the effort that the parents did. And those entrepreneurs have to try really, really hard to not let their wealth destroy their children. Any thoughts on that of why, why coming from a meager circumstance can sometimes make us much more successful as entrepreneurs? I think, I think by default, first of all, I should admit that my 14 year old is snowboarding right now. <laughs> so he, he's out. I, I wouldn't have even known what snowboarding was. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, I look at my oldest who's 16 years old right now. And I think for me as a parent, it's choosing by default, they have a cushy life and they don't have a lot of, of the same stretches that I had. I mean, I had times where uh, I didn't have a home or I bounced from home to home or, you know, there was times where we didn't have electricity or water running. I mean, there was yeah. just, it was just a different set of problems. I, I remember seeing a kid um, with these pair of shorts on and I'm like, well, you must've got those from Goodwill. And he's like, no, I got them from Kmart. I, I thought, man, I'll know if I've arrived, if I've bought clothes from Kmart at, at full regular <laughs> price. It was just a different world. But my, my oldest son, 
I think it's about choosing as a parent the particular experiences that will help them grow. My son is going to go to Long Island, New York this whole summer. And he's 16 years old. He's going to be working from eight in the morning until eight at night, six days a week, knocking on doors and selling pest control services. Yeah. And he is, I told him, I said, I don't, I don't care how many sales you get. I care whether or not you control your results. Are you willing to work from sunup to sundown? Are you willing to manage what's in your control to bring success? Because that's a win. So I think for him, I know, and you know that he's going to take a beating out there. Yeah. And that beating is what's going to help him purposely become who he needs to be. Yeah, that's right. I was a scoutmaster for a lot of years and I, I had a saying that that young men who who can do a 50 mile hike, you know, are are much more prepared for life. When you when you learn you can do those hard things and thrive through those hard things, you can get through the hard things that life faces. But kids that have always been enabled and and protected and never never had to learn, I call it self-efficacy, right? They never learned they can do those hard things. Um, life gets really hard and they hit those hard spots and, and it, it, it breaks them or it paralyzes them. And I, I'm grateful you're, you're having your son go do that. All right. Uh, let's go back to your entrepreneurial journey. Um, so you were, you were a realtor and, uh, you, you've created this great real estate organization. Where did you go from there? So I, from there, I, I mentioned that I had taken some money and invested that in some other businesses where I could receive some residual income. I, along that time, I also started an advertising company where I had these billboards that would scroll around. Uh, imagine, have you been in a Vegas and seen where you've got these billboards on all sides of a truck and they drive around and advertise? I don't know if you've seen those, Nathan, but we, yeah. we had these trucks all over in Phoenix Valley and, uh, the year was 2007 and 2000, you know, in 2007, gas prices were high. The market was, was, uh, melting down in Phoenix. And in that year, both my wife and I lost seven figures that year. Oh my goodness. And, and we, um, financially we lost everything. We went from having literally everything, um, you know, no debt, lots of assets, all of these great things to a total meltdown in our economic stand uh, standing. And I, I think when I think about the biggest loss, it's hard to even put that in a category because it defines so much of my, my current mindset for the good. Um, looking back when I, when I try to process that as a result, I think sometimes when things happen to us, we have this tendency to want to find something outside of us. That's the cause, right? Me even saying 2007, there's this part of people that think, Oh, well then that's okay because the whole world melted down. But the reality was when I entered that particular business, I didn't take the time to validate whether my assumptions were right for the business model. Yeah. And it turns out that throwing you know, good money after bad and continuing to shovel money into something that was never going to work, even in a good economy. Yeah. It, it drove home a point to me that if I'm going to do something, I can validate whether or not that principle or that business model is right without investing over a mill. 
Um, I can do that for $500. I, I look at Netflix. Netflix owner said, hey, look, if this, bottle, if this business model includes sending a DVD, why don't I send 30 different CDs in an envelope and see if they break? It, it costs nothing, right? Um, but I, I think for me, that failure made a huge difference. So I think for me, after that failure, it hit hard. It probably, truthfully, took me a year or so to even mentally recover emotionally. Yeah. But as soon as I did, I got right back into the, the game. I grew a, uh, a patented garage storage product in North America um, by, I think there was probably 20 locations in North America at the time when I took some ownership and I grew it to over a hundred locations in, in a short amount of time. I consulted um, for that company. Great organization. Yes. yes. You, you, you drove so much growth for them. It was, it, you know, that, that experience was kind of my ramp up again. And, and at that time I talked to one of my friends and he said, Hey, let's do a business together. And so we had a spreadsheet and we would list all these different ideas. And he's like, I got this idea. What if we, what if we have people run a 5k and when they're at different spots, we're going to throw colored cornstarch at them and, and we're not going to time the race or anything. And then people will pay us like 50 bucks. I just remember him even saying it out loud and he prefaced it with this sounds crazy. And I'm like that, wh what do you mean throw it at him? And, and he's like, yeah, like when they're running by, we're going to throw it in their face. <laughs> like, who pays $50 to have people throw that in their face? Well, it turns out hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. So we, we went down this, this, uh, this journey, there was a, a company that was doing something similar to it. And I remember we got in the car and we just drove to Seattle to go to this event to see one like it. And I remember when we came back from the event, we were just thinking, we can do this. And within just a couple of months, we had ridden out uh, the Texas State Fairgrounds in Dallas. I want to say we had around 5,500 people at our first event. And, and as normal for me, I normally get into businesses that I have no idea what I'm doing in. I think there's something fun about that. And we went from that, from 5,500 people that renting out downtown uh, Lincoln Park in downtown Chicago with 10 to 12,000 people um, with national sponsors and large national radio stations and just having the time of our life. And we were doing events about every weekend at that point. Um, I can't remember how many months, I, I want to say that two or three months in, we had brought in over a million dollars in revenue in our, in this little, this little business. Nathan, I, I don't know if I've told you this before, but I'm, I'm cheap by nature. Um, when, when we started that business, we started it with $15,000. And I remember that we used my partner's friend's brother, who was a pilot, had buddy passes for the airline. We flew on buddy passes for our first few events and, and trips, preparation trips. We stayed on people's floor. I remember we had eight different people in a single apartment at times uh, or a single hotel room because why would we pay for that? Um, there's something about creating something from nothing that just brings me joy. 
and and we had uh, it, it was almost exactly a year. Um, we we were able to sell that business, um, and that was a game changer. And and to be able to then springboard that into to investing in other people's company and no longer having to work for money, spending my time in building others. Entrepreneurship has advantages that that no other no other opportunity can afford. So grateful we live in a country that allows us to do that. Yeah, that that color and motion run you did was very similar to the Hare Krishna Holy Festival. Obviously, what you did is not religious or anything, but when I lived in Spanish, Fort, it was holy to me. It was holy to me, yeah, Nathan. There you go. <laughs> When I lived in Spanish Fork, Utah, we lived just a mile or so away from uh, a huge Hare Krishna temple. And uh, each year they would have their holy festival, which is the name of, of this festival where it's the festival of the colors. And, and uh, people would all come in their white shirts and, and they would buy their color chalk and they would throw their color chalk and they would park for miles around it. Our whole neighborhood was filled with cars of people that would come to this festival and, um, and they'd come back just covered in colored chalk. So I know how, how fun that is for, for so many people, how, how that just can draw a crowd. It's not, I no longer want anything to do with that. After a few events of having that colored chalk stuck up in your yeah. ears and your nose, I think I've had enough chalk to last me a lifetime. I, I, I was just thinking, when I think about that first event that we did in Dallas, it was successful. Um, but when it, when it got done, I remember that I had about three days of no sleep. I remember calling my wife and telling her that the event was done and I started bawling and she said, well, why are you crying? I said, I have no idea. It, it was that feeling of giving everything I had Yeah, that's right. and, and still, and just my body just kind of melting down. But, when we had when we had some of those challenges in that first event, Nathan, I remember I was monitoring social media pretty well. And when you're pulling off an event of that size, nothing's perfect. And so we would we would pop onto social media and I'd start seeing these different negative comments or negative reviews. And there was this moment of decision where I thought, we're gonna decide exactly how we treat this right now. Um, because there was, there was a number of event companies at that time that were just going in there and as quick as a negative review came, they were deleting them. And, and, you know, I remember looking at some of those companies and thought, you seem less credible than ever by even going on here and seeing just perfect, all five reviews. It's like, come on, that's not real. So when we, when we saw those negatives, my partner and I made a conscious choice that we were going to leave them. And we left them and instead of just leaving them, we took the time to respond in a thoughtful way to, to own our failures, to, to own areas of improvement or to produce additional information that would give greater context to those that might've had less than ideal experience. Right. I, think that, I think that people appreciated that more than they ever would had I just deleted it. Yeah. Um, that being, being transparent and being authentic in the way that we, we did business, knowing that we weren't perfect, knowing that it would never be perfect, but we could be perfect at doing the right thing 
in those times where things weren't right. That, that I think made a big difference for us. Yeah, transparency is a essential element of credibility marketing. And, and like you said, sometimes those negative reviews are the greatest opportunity to show credibility if we respond well to them because it shows that we are dealing with it. It shows that we care and are, are trying to solve it. And it almost gives us a platform to show um, that, that we're, we're fixing it. Okay. And, and to be, and to be comfortable changing it today. Um, you know, there's, there's times I, I've tied my shoe the exact same way for 41 years. Actually, I didn't, I'm 41 now. I don't know when I started tying shoes, <laughs> knowing my, my learning curve, I was probably 15, but I, <laughs> I had someone challenge me recently to change the way I tie my shoes and that while I tie my shoes a different way that was going to be slower and more methodical to be thinking about ways that I could improve while I tie my shoe. And since I've tied my shoe the same way over and over, there was this, there's been lots of instances where I accidentally forgot, tied my shoe the normal way and then kept rolling. And then I would stop and think, Oh, I didn't, I didn't do it right. And then there's this, there's this dilemma where it's like, I'm going to just do it next time. But to force myself to say, there is no next time. It's, it's this time it's right now. It might take a little bit longer for me to stop and redo it. But when I've made a choice of how it is that I want to improve and what I'm going to do, even doing it right now, taking time pays dividends down the road rather than thinking I'll do that right the next opportunity. And I think, I think for entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs know that tomorrow never comes. Today's all you got. It, it just doesn't come tomorrow. So I might as well do the right thing now rather than thinking there's a next iteration or another day. Thank you so much, Reg, for sharing your story and knowledge with us today. Here are some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, whether you're a genius or not, it is more important to show that you genuinely care about people. People know if you care or not, and it pays great dividends. Number two, recognize the lifetime value of a customer. Maintain relationships with clients and find ways to build long-term connections with them. Number three, consistently provide value. Number four, own the land where you build your skyscraper. Don't spend your time building someone else's brand build your own brand. Number five, create direct relationships with customers. Rely upon the value of this. Number six, credibility isn't built in a moment. Invest in the long game of credibility. Number seven, no company can control whether or not bad things happen, but they can choose how to make things right. Responding well to things going wrong is an opportunity to provide amazing customer service and build trust. Number eight, negative comments or situations aren't negative. They're simply opportunities to show genuine care, listen, and be receptive to real meaningful customer feedback. If you enjoyed this interview and you want to learn more about Reg or connect with him, you can find him on LinkedIn, and there's a link to that on the blog post for this episode. You can also follow his brother Reg podcast or email him at regallen at gmail.com. Did you like today's episode? Then please follow these channels to receive free digital monetization content. 
Number one, you can get a free monetization assessment of your business or subscribe to the Monetization e-magazine at monetizationnation.com. Number two, you can subscribe to the Monetization Nation YouTube channel or podcast. And number three, please follow Monetization Nation on Instagram and Twitter. What are you doing to become a revolutionary entrepreneur? Please join our private Monetization Nation Facebook group and share your insights with other digital monetizers. Thanks for joining us for this episode. I wish you success. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.